And welcome everyone, you are on the grid here on mypodcasthouse.com. Thanks for joining us this week. Got a big weekend to wrap up uh, in regards to motor racing, especially Formula One. And to help me do that, I say good day to my co-host Richard Crowell. Hello, Crowley. Morning, Rex. Uh, we both stayed up until after midnight last night, just trying to get our head around what was one of the most <laughs> amazing Formula One Grand Prix. It was action from start to finish. Yeah, can we can we just race it in Azerbaijan every week? I think Formula be One's been F1's been wondering about what they do with their overtaking problem or lack thereof. I think the solution is to give them a mental street circuit and a two-kilometre-long front straight where they can slipstream to their heart's content. A brilliant race. Unbelievable Grand Prix. One of the better ones probably since Baku 12 months ago, to be honest, which was another crazy race. So um, very much a, an IndyCar-style race in a way, and that's what IndyCar racing like a lot of the time is that crazy street circuit action, race punctuated by safety cars, a strategy call, that almost decided the winner based on that safety car. And, and you have to feel for Valtteri Bottas at the end there. Uh, after his puncher, he probably should have won that race, and they called it perfectly for him. Um, last lap, you know, drama. Sebastian Vettel has a massive crack, locks it up, throws away a, a top three finish and the world championship lead in the process. The Red Bull teammates collide, and haven't we heard that story before? And the list goes on and on. Crazy racing through the field. Sauber and Williams were competitive. Yeah. There was a Force India on the podium. Like, just one of those crazy Grands Prix. And that's the kind of stuff that Liberty Media, the new owners of the sport, want to occur more often than not. So uh, if that's their template, then bring on their, their brave new future for Formula 1. Well, there's your promo for 2019. Just in one race, you can get all your clips straight yeah. out of that for, the, uh, for yeah. the promo for next year, no doubt. Let's have a look at a couple of those incidents that you mentioned. First of all, we'll talk about the, the Red Bull incident. Uh, of course, Daniel Ricciardo trying to, as you said, take that spot up the inside. It seemed like Max Verstappen probably moved once and then moved maybe a second time. Daniel was committed up the inside. I think the people that probably came out of it the worst was the actual Red Bull team themselves because those mechanics have got a fair bit of work to do to those cars and for no reason other than just two guys going hard. Yeah, and, and for me... It's such a tough one, isn't it? Because that, that's a team that has a, a track record, good or bad, of letting their teammates race. Yeah. For the most part, letting them race uh, and letting them race hard. And um, and they said that after the race that, you know, that the team has a, a responsibility to their fans to let their drivers go at it and go hard, but they shouldn't crush each other out. Um but there's a management issue involved here somewhere, whether it's Helmut Marko or whether it's Christian Horner or somewhere else along the line with the race engineers, that there's a point where surely, as teammates, you've got to go, uh, no, all right, that's enough, seriously. And for me, that would be that second time they banged wheels coming out Correct. of turn one. Yeah. Um, that was the point where you go, all right, Seriously, guys, you're going to end up crushing each other out. That's enough. Did you get that feeling, so, though, that, that that message was being conveyed to Verstappen when at the end no. of a couple of broadcasts it was, just keep it clean? Yeah, but I, I don't think... that. But that's not a serious, come on, Max, that's enough. No, yeah, or even true. to Dan. And, and Dan should have got the same the same conversation. Even though he was the faster car, he, was, he lost track position um, twice in that race. He lost it on the opening lap, and then he lost it again after the pit stops when uh, Verstappen got the overcut, as it turned out, on the new tyre. And um, they were having so much trouble switching a, a new tyre on that 
even though Dan pitted first, having just finally battled his way through, he then ended up coming out behind out of pit lane and had to do the job all over again. And that's what led to that incident. But there's a race management issue here. And, and I saw a couple of really good tweets about it. There were a lot of poor stuff on Twitter as well. But um, there was a really good couple of tweets saying, you know, we, we all hate when there's team orders in force, but then it's a bit hypocritical to say, yeah. oh, there should have been team orders just because we all wanted Dan to beat <laughs> Max. So it's, it's a funny situation, isn't it? But my, my take on that issue was it was a racing incident. No doubt Verstappen moved twice in his defence, which he can't do. Um, he moved to the right and then he jinked back to the left when Dan sent it. Um, but then again, Dan's approach was so fast and he got such a good toe with the DRS engaged that his closing speed was so fast. And then when he got up behind Max, he lost all the air off his front wing, lost his braking performance, crashed into the back of him. And it's very, very hard to defend someone who drills a car mm. square from behind, even if they are moving across on them. So my my take on it is racing incident. Team needs to sort it out internally. Um, hasn't it given us an amazing storyline for the rest of the year? Yeah, it has. And I think the code of conduct, uh, as I read today, was thrown at both the boys in uh, in the team meeting mm. post-race, and, and probably rightly so. The other incident was uh, Sebastian Vettel. And... Was, I think the word patience comes to mind there. I cannot believe he tried the move he tried with still three laps to go. I thought, it, especially the first lap after effectively the safety car went off, I thought he might have just waited just his time. And if he had have, uh, things could have been totally different, of course, because Boat has got the uh, the puncher and he would have been in front. No, I, I, can, I can believe he had a go. Um, and I'm not surprised he had a go because he's got this great confident approach at the moment because his car's working it's the best car in the field at the moment uh and he's got opportunities to do things he hasn't in the past and that includes fighting back to get the win and, and whether seb felt uh an injustice that he came out behind bottas and and you heard that radio conversation in that last safety car how did he get out in front well anyone who's watching indycar or a nascar race will go well they just called that safety car perfectly and he came out and and got the lead so yeah. Whether he felt an injustice or not, I don't know. But as the the boys in the broadcast talked about on Sky F1, that um, the Ferraris were switching their tyre on better than the, the Mercs after a pit stop so uh, or going through a heat cycle. So he probably felt like that was his time to strike before the Mercs got more tyre temperature up in those very cold conditions. Um, and he had a crack. I love that he had a crack because there's been Formula 1 races in the past where you've been sitting there going, go on, somebody send it, come on, have a go. Um, it's the best overtaking spot in Formula 1 at the moment, and he had a big go. Didn't pay off, but I'm from a race point of view, I'm glad that he had a go because it was a great spectacle, and you want that kind of stuff. You want the best drivers in the world trying to fight for the lead and, and not being scared to back out of it because of team orders or because of uh, the world championship situation or whatever it might be. You want them fighting for the win in every corner, and, and that's what we got. And for Vettel, it didn't work, and... Um, I think the biggest story out of that, Shebex's poor old Bottas, who was on course to win his fourth Grand yeah. Prix, um, and through absolutely no fault of his own, um, got a puncture and, and a DNF. So he didn't even get on the podium. So pretty brutal finish for him. Yeah, very much so. And then uh, for me, the highlight was uh, Sergio Perez doing his best Mark Marquez impersonation. Yeah. <laughs> I'd sort of fallen asleep just about at the end of the race. And then as I'm sort of, my eyes are just fluctuating and my hearing, and I heard the voice, so I thought, hang on, is it MotoGP? <laughs> <laughs> just. <laughs> oh, yeah. those Spaniards, they're funny. 
what a good story. And, and it is. It's a come, ripper. To come from a five-second penalty as well that he got earlier in the race for but for early dramas, um, yeah, good. it's good for Force India. Good to see them back up there. They're, they're, you just sort of have to like that team, don't you? They they keep plucking away without the, the big budget and they keep getting these big results. And, you know, you and I watched them in Melbourne and they're actually pretty average in the first couple of races this year. So to see them with that very low drag, very slippery car, good in a straight line, which suits the Azerbaijan circuit, um, they were terrific and really entertaining to watch them blaze through the field. Yeah. Uh, yeah, really good. And I think we need to single out um, Leclerc as well because yes. the um, the young Monaco driver was really impressive. And First Sauber place. had a yeah, Sauber had a pretty decent car there, which was good to see. And he drove really well, so he's he's going to be a star of the future at some point, and maybe see him in a, a prancing horse at one point in the future. So the great news is is that Formula One in 2018 seems to have a fairly healthy situation as opposed to the last couple of years where there's been a fair bit of domination by the Mercedes. Ferrari sort of came into it last year, but this year we're mm. starting to see Red Bull come into it. We've seen a Ferrari. So those top three are getting closer together, which is great. And then the guys just behind, as you mentioned, Sauber, Force India, Haas even, uh, Romain Grosjean was up to six there at one stage. Uh, mm. Those guys are starting to get a bit more competitive as well. So it really starting is it's starting to get interesting, thank God, it hasn't been for years. <laughs> yeah, it's been a bit depressive for a while, hasn't it? And whether Mercedes have dropped the ball a little bit or whether it's Ferrari increasing performance, um, Red Bull are certainly closer to both of them than they've been for the last couple of years. Um, so that that's all fantastic. But that midfield fight for me is hugely impressive. Like, uh, how did Alonso finish seventh? Yeah, I've got no correct. idea how he finished seventh after having a double puncture on the opening lap. <laughs> but through all the drama, he just blazed through and you know, they they don't have qualifying speed, the McLarens, but they're a pretty good race car. Um, and they're just accumulating points at the moment, so they can develop themselves to the front as the year goes on. Um, you know, the Renaults were super quick in the race yesterday, and Hulkenberg, obviously DNF, which is a massive shame because he had good speed, but Carlos Sainz was really impressive. So that, that midfield fight is hugely competitive. And, and yesterday, with the Williams and the Saubers being competitive for the mm. first time this year... The, the midfield fight was everybody that wasn't Merck, Ferrari or Red Bull. So there was eight teams having a proper crack at that final spot on the podium. And um, that's what we want to see. But you get that, you know, we're in what, year five of, well, we're in year three of these current regulations with the yeah. the high downforce, super fast cars. Um, you know, as a regulation set beds in and everyone gets a better understanding of it, the gap naturally, and, and Formula One's history is filled with this, the gap between the really good teams who nail it early and the ones that have to develop their way up to it gets smaller and smaller. So we're getting that competitive balance now that gets better and better. There's more to be done, but, yeah, it's it's more competitive than it's been in ages, and thank God for that. And I think the other thing also is uh, the commentators mentioned after that crash between Ricardo and Verstappen, does an incident like that make Daniel Ricardo's mind up in regards to where he's going to be next year? You know what, I think an incident like that could actually make Daniel Ricardo stay at Red Bull because I don't know if any other team is going to allow him to continue to race his teammate the way Daniel and, and Max were doing that yesterday. I, well, I definitely know that if he's up against Hamilton, Hamilton's going to have the number one seat, and that yeah, won't be happening. And if he's yeah, at Ferrari, Vettel's going to have exactly the same situation. Yeah, and, and Ferrari obviously prattle on every now and then. Well, we don't have number one driver as well. That's rubbish. Yeah. Um, well, I think everybody who follows the sport, even casually, knows that. 
Uh, and that's been the case since Michael Schumacher and Rubens Barrichello were driving together. So, yeah, well, even Eddie Irvine before that. Um, yeah, I, I, I think that's a good point. Absolutely. And and this year, you know, Dan copped some heat last year because he wasn't as fast in that raw speed department as Max. But this year he has been. He out-qualified him on the weekend. He certainly outraced him time and time again this year. He's been the better race car driver. And, and in the end, that's what you want. So... Yeah, do you, do you chase the bucks? Do you go and get a seat with the risk of being second fiddle to Lewis Hamilton or Vettel? Bearing in mind that in his last year at Red Bull, Dan did a number on Sebastian and comprehensively beat him. True. Um, so you know, maybe he does. But it, it's a great story, and you know, it's it's a bit like you know, it's like Dangerfield leaving Adelaide. It's it's going to be the topic of for twelve months worth of news stories about where does Dan go because he's probably the hottest driver in Formula 1 without a contract now. Exactly right. Let's turn our attention to the upcoming weekend, Quelzy, and uh, the supercars make their way across the country, effectively from one coast to the other, from Phillip Island to Barbagallo in Perth. And uh, interesting next three rounds for the uh, the supercars uh, on tracks where qualifying becomes so desperately important as you need to be up the front on these smaller tracks to make sure that that track position remains good. Hard to overtake in supercars at Barbagallo. Uh, Darwin pretty much the same as well, and then I think they come down to Winton after that. Uh, Winton first, then Darwin. But yeah, Sorry, yes, which, is, which is always comedic because at Winton it's normally two degrees, and then we get to Darwin and it's 32, so yeah. you couldn't get too big a contrast, could you? Um, yeah, an interesting swing now, and, and what we have is we've had a around each of different kind of racetracks. So we've had Simmons Plains, which is a little boring in Tasmania. We've worked out who was strong there on those, the old school style circuits. We've had the fast flowing open Albert Park and, uh, and Phillip Island now. So we know where those tracks are good. And all of a sudden the ZB Commodores perhaps aren't as good as everyone thought they were. And, um, you know, the, the Falcons were really strong there, especially the Shell V Power racing ones. So. Um, we've had a good indication now, a good sort of taste tester of where people are at in this championship. So now we get into the middle, you know, the grind of the season. This is the important rounds where everyone just gets into that let's just accumulate points mode. So it's the next couple of rounds where if you're second, you take it, um, you score some points, you get onto the next race because you need to get towards August, September. You know, when we get to Queensland yeah. Raceway, things the intensity racks up and... And then we know that we've got sand down in our future um, for the 500 and the Enduros when things really get serious. So it's an important part of the season. Um, and there's still people that need to perform. There's still teams that need to have big weekends here. And I'm, I'm looking at I'm looking at Tickford Racing in particular that have been pretty awful for the last two weekends. Um, and you know Nissan need to carry on their form from where they were at. And then this captivating title battle between Van Gisbergen and Wing Cup, McLaughlin, Coulthard, um, and, and those others in the mix at the pointy end that um, looks like it's going to be even better than last year. So there's so many storylines to play out over a couple of really good, interesting old-school-style racetracks in the next two months. Well, I know one guy that would love to have a massive weekend at Barbagallo after the start to 2018. That's been thereabouts, and we talk, of course, of Todd Hazelwood, Todd Hazelwood in that big mate car, and he joins us on the line now. G'day, Todd. Morning, guys. Thanks for having me on the show. Thanks for coming on board, mate. Really appreciate it. Uh, first of all, my, I'll go straight to the top. Uh, your impressions of 2018 so far? 
2018 has uh, has been a really tough year, to be honest. Um, it's been eye-opening and by far the toughest start of my racing career, you know, as far as racing seasons are concerned. So we've been learning a lot and, um, you know, embracing the challenge, but at the same time trying to move forward and, and try and get some better results looking ahead. Does it feel like this has been a complete reset? And, uh, and you bought the same team with you from Super 2 last year. You bought your, Wes McDougall, your engineer, car owner, sponsor. So a lot of the package has made the journey with you. So there's a lot of continuity there. But does it still feel like this has just been a massive reset button for you this year and you've just had to go in from scratch? Yeah, definitely. You know, it's And like you said, I think we're quite lucky that we've had the, the guys and girls step up with us together because if it was... Uh, you know, if we didn't have that, it would have been um, a, a humongous challenge putting all of this together. And I think that's probably one thing that's keeping this program together is the good people that we have in our corner and, and that continuity of, um, you know, knowing that uh, this, this whole relationship between everyone is very stable. And um, this is what's helping us get through these tough times. But, you know, as far as we're concerned, you know, trying to learn this new chassis this year has been a almighty challenge. It's probably... Um, yeah, something that we're still working on and, you know, hopefully we can get our heads around it and obviously for myself as well, stepping up to the main league and as a driver, you, you need to make that next big step up and, yeah, trying to trying to take it all on board has been a challenge but, uh, nonetheless, really enjoying it. I know you're a realist also, though, Todd, and I'm sure you came into 2018 understanding what you had in front of you and probably not setting yourself the most massive goals. There would have just been... Well, to use a cliche, I suppose uh, one step at a time. Yeah, hundred percent. You know, we uh, we very much had goals in mind of what we thought we could achieve, and let's be honest, I think we probably thought we could do a lot better than what we're doing right now. And you know, that's only because we're all hungry and we're all result-driven industry. And um, yeah, look, it's it's been tough, and uh, you know, I think as a team, I feel we've got all the right people to get the results, and you know, hopefully, that's a matter of you know, matter of when, not if, but. Um, yeah, look, you know, when you put uh, a new team on the grid and plus, you know, you're throwing a new driver and a new chassis all at once um, to start a new racing season, it's uh, there's a lot of challenges to be had. And, um, you know, we, we that's why we chose to build a two-year program with Matt and because we understand it's certainly not built overnight. And when you're a single-car team as well, you're pretty limited with the amount of um, information and data that you can collect as the year goes on. So our learning rate... Um, is fast, but certainly not as fast as some of these other teams. So that's also uh, another element that we're trying to, you know, trying to speed up the process with. And yeah, it's that's all part of the challenge. And we we did know that, and um, you know, but this is our way of getting into the main game, and we've just got to embrace the challenge. Can you pinpoint where your struggles are coming from? It's been interesting to watch, especially the Fords this year, Todd. That um, even to a certain extent, the Shell V Power cars have been a bit inconsistent, but. Tickford Racing's probably been the biggest story that on the 2016 tie that we've gone back to this year, they've struggled to get their cars in the window full stop in the last couple of rounds and, and battled to get in the top 10 at Simmons and then were just floating around the bottom half of the 10 at, at Phillip Island. They haven't looked that competitive. Is that where your issues are coming from or is it is it deeper than that or is it all a combination of a an array of things that you just mentioned, like the, the learning process? Yeah, look, I think it's definitely a combination from our point of view. Um, you know, from our, from us, you know, people say, oh, it's parody, it's this and that. But, you know, for us, you know, we're not going to use any of those words because uh, we've got, you know, we're well aware that we've got bigger issues than that and we're trying to rectify them as quick as we can. But mm. I definitely think, you know, looking at the other Falcon teams, you know, I think after driving this new car now, I can see why the cars are very competitive on the super soft tyre, which we ran 
in last season. Yep. Um, and I think that that explains a lot why they are struggling this year because when they go to the, the harder compound spec tyre, um, you know, I think the way these cars work, they rely on a lot of grip from the tyre. So that's probably one element I would say that it's probably, I don't know, maybe causing some sort of confusion. But I'll probably, you know, am a bit surprised that some teams haven't picked it up as quick as what others have. Um, you know, obviously, there's it's been well documented how well balance is at beers, but, you know, I've always said, you know, if a car's out in front of you, it's not because, you know, the car's better, it's just because they're simply doing a better job. So that's what we're trying to do. We're just trying to simply focus on our own program and um, and try and move forward. But, you know, from our point of view, as far as results, you know, we've every round that we've gone to, we've highlighted a major issue of the chassis. We've rectified it, gone to the next round, and then highlighted another little area that we need to work on. So... The main thing is that we are learning. We just and we just need to tick the boxes off a little bit quicker than what we are. I think the other good thing also that you could take some solace out of Todd is the fact that uh, if you have a look in the last couple of races, I think we had Jack LeBrock have a, a ripper a couple of weeks ago. We had Anton Di Pasquale at Phillip Island. So the rookies are getting the opportunities on uh, on different tracks, and hopefully yours isn't too far away. Oh, I'd certainly like to think so, and you know that was the whole point of entering this year's championship because we knew if we had. If we had all the ducks lined up on, on a race weekend, there's no reason why we can't jag a result or, or be inside the top 10 and, you know, and put ourselves on the map. And, uh, you know, the rules are that tight these days and the regulations. And, you know, you only have to look at qualifying sessions. You know, the times are separated by nothing. So if you've got a good quality car and you can back that with a good race race car, there's no reason why we can't be competitive. And, you know, at the end of the day, we are just all drivers. And it doesn't matter if you've been in the game for 20 years or, or six months. You know, you can still achieve the same thing. And... That's the exciting thing about this category right now. Todd, so I know you're 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 a race car driver one, yes, but you're also a fan of the sport, and your story and your family story has been well documented about you know growing up Ford fans, and you sat at a kid at the LA 500, and probably Malalara would have imagined you know watching these guys go to work. Um, although you might be a bit young for Malalara, come to think of it, but um, <laughs> do, do you still give yourself the opportunity through everything that's going on, through being looking after all the commercial stuff on that team and looking after the the driving side and working with your engineer and sim time and trying to raise the budget, all of these things, do you still sit back and go, you know what, last weekend I qualified six tenths of a second behind Jamie Breaking Winkup, who's a seven-time champion of the sport. Do you allow yourself that opportunity to go, this is still very, very cool, and yes, I am living the dream? Yeah, it was probably only this weekend where actually it started to sink in a little bit because I think the start of the year has been so much of a blur and we've just been chasing a tail. We haven't, you never really appreciate what you're doing because when you're working so hard, you never get that chance to sit back and reflect. And it was only when I was actually sending through some old photos for a, a news article and, you know, you know exactly what you said, you know, standing at turn eight and there's photos of me and my sister sitting there and, you know, sitting on the bonnet of Dad's car at Malalar and you think, geez, you know, this is everything that... You know, you just seemed done. You know, you just couldn't comprehend being in that in that class as a kid. And you know, I remember that feeling when you'd see the drivers go around the track at you know clips and that sort of stuff. You you looked up to them as you know someone completely different as the way I see them today. So it's yeah, it, it is a bit surreal. Um, you know, when I'm at the race meeting, it certainly feels normal being there. But yeah, looking looking back now, and you know, you know, I only have to walk into my bedroom and there's posters of all, half the drivers that I'm racing today. So it's still quite. <laughs> Quite surreal in that respect. It certainly is. Todd, uh, have you, fitness-wise, how, how are you going there? Have you had a bit of a back issue the last few weeks? Uh, yeah, it did, actually. Um, yeah, just a, a combination of things. I tried a new seat insert. 
Um, I've run the same old trusty intercede into it for four years now and thought I'd try something different for Simmons Plains. It turns out that probably wasn't the best round to do it. Um, yeah, and it gave me a little bit of grief. So I think that was probably the main main issue there um, and probably didn't rectify the issue well enough. I, I felt the, the back pain on Saturday and I thought I'll just fix up the seat insert here and there and she'll be, she'll be right. And um, yes, I got halfway through Sunday's race and I pulled a muscle on my back and when you got you know, a track that's big on brake applications and, and, and heavy braking. And the other issue there, too, is that predominantly they're all left-hand corners, so you always, your back is always mm. starting to get a little bit of a curve traditionally anyway. So, yeah, that kind of just amplified it all and yeah, gave me a bit of a, a tough end to Sunday. But, yeah, it's all, all sorted now, though. You had a uh, big weekend, I believe, uh, just the weekend past. Uh, you had the opportunity to, to head down to Taylor and Bend for the first time. What were your thoughts? Oh man, what an amazing circuit! And um, I was the first, you know, after I got out of the car, first thing I did was went and sh- um, shook Sam Shahin's hand because I said, "Mate, what a unbelievable driving experience!" I've never um, been able to drive a car at ten tenths and not been able to, make, you know, rectify the circuit in ten fifteen minutes. It's just unbelievable. It's got every element that you could ever want as a driver. I was, I was probably. Not harsh, but just I was open-minded as to how flowing the track was, but it, that's mm. certainly not the case. It's it's fast, it's flowing, it's tight, it's undulating, it's got flying corners. It's really is the ultimate challenge. And I drove the short track and thought can't get any better than that. And then I was just absolutely mind blown when I uh, <laughs> did the full circuit. So yeah, it's you know super cool to have this in South Australia and for Australia itself. You know to have a a world class venue like that is uh, going to do great things for this country and, and in particular for motorsport in general in South Australia. Yes, I should have uh, prefaced the question, Crowley, by saying proud South Australian, Todd. Hazelwood. Yeah, correct. It, exactly. Yeah, we're all very fond of it. Um, half a dozen supercar full timers now have had a crack. A couple of guys came over for the Shannon's round. Jamie Winkup was due to do a, a four lap run in a, a borrowed AMG 33 and ended up doing about 10 laps. Um, so they've all really liked it, but I've had about five different opinions as to what it's going to be like as a supercar track when we get there in August. Um, add, add your thoughts to that mix. What's it going to be like? Is it going to be Phillip Island-style racing, do you think? Um, you know, I've, I've been trying to work that out myself, actually. I'm not sure what tie you can get away with running. I think it would be cool to have the Super Soft on there because I think that would probably create better racing. Mm. Um, but... You know, I think it, it is going to be super tough on the left-hand side of the car on that short track, um, particularly with the the undulation in the circuit where you've got long loaded corners, plus you've got the elevation loading up that left-hand side quite aggressively. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, it's the same for everyone, and I think it's it's got enough of everything to try and probably create and promote a good racing, I believe. You know, that was probably what I was a bit nervous about when, seeing the initial footage of the circuit, thinking, oh, it's too flowing for a supercar. But mm. now that I've been up there, there's enough deep braking areas like you can easily pass on into one. Um, you go around the back section there, you've got a blind left-hander, and it's it's into a, you know, basically a long bowl left. So we're gonna, we are going to see some passing. I think it's just going to be, you know, the hardest thing is going to be trying to set a chassis up that, you know, takes all of those elements. And, um, yeah, that's going to be a real challenge. Uh, Todd, as we let you go, obviously... Uh it's a big year ahead and in regard, and as you mentioned before too, the fact that you run the commercial side of this car as well. How hard was that for you over the uh, the summer to get your, your mind ready for a, a full-time season in supercars while at the same time going out and knocking on doors? 
Yeah, look, it was uh, something that didn't really get a lot of thought about at the start of the year. We literally rolled up to Adelaide, you know, not unprepared, but it was just, I think, had well, had so much going on, didn't really have a chance to even think about going racing. So in some, some respects, it probably helped the nerves and, and blocked everything else out. But at the same time, it was uh, was very chaotic and probably moving forward now, didn't appreciate the tight turnarounds enough. Um, you know, racing every second weekend, trying to fit all the commitments in and, and, and trying to, you know, continuously find those sponsors and partners involved is uh, is a challenge. But um, we, we always knew that. And, um, you know, we got a, you know, the whole part of this year is that we're on the grid and we just got to try and make this two-year program work now. And like anything, you just got to, you know, take on more than you can chew and chew like hell. And that's really the attitude I've had for a few years now. And, it, and it's worked. And, you know, now we're just trying to work out other strategies, how we can you know, keep improving the whole product that we've got and, yeah, hopefully be in this game for the long-term future and not just, um, you know, come in and, and be out of the game before I'm in it. So that's really the key thing for us right now. It's a refreshing attitude, mate, isn't it, Crowley? Just someone who just uh, wants to roll up the sleeves and get in there and do it. No excuses, just get the job done. Yep, love yeah, love exactly. it. And you, you know when you're quoting Peter Brock that uh, things are going all right. So uh, <laughs> it's like your quote's a good one. Well done. Yeah, no, thanks, mate. It's uh, it's all part of the game, and um, yeah, really enjoying it. Really appreciate your time, Todd. Thanks for that. Good luck at Barbagallo this weekend, and hopefully, it's the uh, the catalyst for a turnaround for what should be a great 2018 remaining. Yeah, thanks, guys. I appreciate it, and yeah, I think that's going to be good for us. So uh, hopefully, watch the space. Todd Hazelwood joining us here on the grid. Well, Richard, as we said, what a ripper bloke. Good young kid, just a guy that just wants to get the job done. Yeah, it's a great story, and it's been very well documented. I think we're in good shape for yeah, the right. young drivers, aren't we? Yeah, because, very much. You know, Todd's, Todd's a ripper dude and a terrific driver, Super 2 champion, and they'll get that program together. Jack LeBrock, ripper dude, Super 2 winner, um, really good driver in a good team now as well and starting to produce some results. Anton Dexter-Squally, David drive. Reynolds, and he, he was the reason that yep. they had such a good weekend at Phillip Island. The list goes on. I, I think... Our sport's in great hands, but the thing I like about it most, and, and you and I deal with these guys on a weekly basis, they're all characters. They're all yeah. great for a comment. You know, there's Todd Hazelwood, at, you know, he's a baby and he's quoting Peter Brock and rolling out good lines like bite off more than you can chew and chew like hell. Um, the sport's in good shape, Chebec's long term, and um, that's what I like about this, this current crop of rookies that we've got coming through the series. So, yeah, good times for the future. Couldn't agree more, mate. Thanks for your involvement today, as always, buddy. Uh, look forward to wrapping up uh, what should be a fantastic weekend at Barbagallo with you next weekend. Yeah, the Wild West should be an interesting one. I reckon watch the Craig Lowndes on the old tyre there. I reckon he uh, he goes pretty well at the old school tracks. All right, there's the early tip from Richard Crowell. Good on you, mate. Thank you. See you, mate. Richard Crowell joining us here on The Grid. That is the end of another episode. Thanks for joining us, mypodcasthouse.com. We look forward to catching you again next week here on The Grid.